Welcome to the second episode of the second series of Pause and Listen, the podcast from Pause. Today we're talking about something a bit different and difficult. We're talking about the premature deaths of women who've had more than one child removed from their care. This episode is coming to you as part of our work during the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. Check out the previous episode on domestic abuse to hear more about women who work with PAWS and their experiences of gender-based violence. So why are we talking about women who've died? Well, through our scoping exercises in 30 areas across the UK, where we were looking for women who might be eligible to receive support from PAWS, we started noticing something. We noticed women who'd had more than one child removed, who died before we were able to offer them support. In those 30 areas, we found 233 women who died in between their children being removed from their care and the poor scoping exercise. We've calculated that women who've had multiple children removed from their care are 36 times more likely to die compared to women of the same age. We wanted to raise awareness of this and ask questions about what more could have been done to support those women. Now, in this episode, normally we would always have a women's voice, but for this one, we decided to do something a bit different. So this episode is dedicated to those 233 women, as well as all the women who've died who were known to pause practices across the UK. We're going to start by talking to Jules Hillier, Chief Exec of Pause, and Ellen Marks, Director of Practice and Learning at Pause, about their reflections and thoughts on the data that we found and the women that have died. So talk to me about what you thought or felt when you first saw the data that we'd collected. It was a shock. Seeing that big number was horrible. We looked at the numbers, didn't we, because we suspected something was there to be found. But when you see it in black and white, it's, it's really difficult. And I thought about it a lot. I mean, I, I continually think about it. I have worked in a lot of organisations that support vulnerable people and support people who have challenging lives. But actually, this is the first organisation I've been in that has come so close to the deaths of women. And that really made me stop and think. I agree with everything that Jules has said. Having been in frontline statutory social work for a long time, I've always been aware that there are not only women, but predominantly women who have died, thankfully, not very many. We sort of knew this was happening because we kept seeing these in scoping reports, we went and found it and gathered all those bits of data. And it reminded me about some of those really early pause bits during the pilot phase where we didn't quite have the systems that we have now, because I just sat down with a load of bits of paper and started counting and going through things. And the overwhelming thing was, yes, shock, but also sadness because we came across these women by chance as well. It was sadness that actually it took an organisation like Pause coming across it as a bit of a, an afterthought. And I, I don't mean that in a horrible way, but we hadn't gone looking for them. We'd gone looking for women who would be eligible for the programme. And then we began to realise we were seeing something else. Yeah, and that makes me cross as mm. well. One of the things that has always amazed me ever since I first started working at PAUSE was how little is known about the women that we work with and how we have to work quite hard to find them. And I guess that's the ultimate, isn't it? That 233 women died almost without anybody knowing or apparently caring about that. And that's 
just not right. Yeah. And I think that's what struck me, that people only know about it because we found their data without looking for it on purpose. And if we hadn't done that, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation and talking about this in public. I think it's also really important to hold on to that sense of shock and sense of sadness and sense of anger, because one of the things that does happen, if you talk to people that are working in fields where they meet some of these incredibly vulnerable women, their response is, yes, sadness, but also a little bit of a sense of, "Mm, yeah, unfortunately, that does happen. And I think that there is a danger that if we don't keep challenging ourselves to keep thinking about this, keep talking about this, keep asking questions about why it happens, then they will get lost again. You know, the thing that really sticks with me is the ages of the women. We know that 70% of them were under 40. Young women are dying. Anyone dying is not good. But a 21-year-old dying? And we don't know what these women died of unless there's a note on the file, and very often there isn't. What we know from practice as well, yes, some of them are dying as a result of death by domestic violence and death as a result of suicide, but also women are dying of really preventable physical illnesses, women dying of epilepsy, women are dying of heart conditions and treatable conditions. That's when I start to get quite angry as well about Mm -hmm. actually these are young women who shouldn't be dying and shouldn't be dying for a whole range of reasons. So I'm now talking to Helen Daniel, who's this national scoping lead for PAUSE and was the person that actually collected this data on women who died. Scoping is a data collection exercise that we do in a local area to come in and help them understand the need in that area and to find women who might be eligible for support from PAUSE. So Helen, tell us about your role at PAUSE and what you do. My role at PAUSE is to go in and gather the data to see if there's enough eligible women to deliver a PAUSE programme. I gather lots of quantitative data, like identification numbers, name, date of birth, how many children have had removed. And then I also gather some qualitative data about what that woman's life might have been like, what issues might have affected her throughout her life. So you're going through hundreds of records in one local area, for example. So I'll be given anywhere between 600, maybe 1,200 children. So I'll start looking at their records. In addition to that, if the child has come into care in the last year, they might have siblings attached to them that have also been through the same process. They've already been through the system. So I could end up looking at around 1,500 children's records in order to obtain the data about the women because the data that I'm looking for isn't done as any form of statutory return. How did it feel to be that person that was collecting that data and started to to see quite a large number of women that had died? When I first started to collect the data about the women and also the women that had died, I was really shocked at how many women I was coming across that had had the children removed and had died afterwards. I could see that there was dying for a number of different reasons. People make an assumption about these women and why they would have had a premature death, but that's not the case. As I was collecting it, I just thought, this just seems such a lot of women. So if you end up with a cohort of 100 women, and in addition to that, you have 15, 20 women that have also died, that just seems really, really high. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was really sad. 
you're the person that came across it and started putting it together really saying there's a lot of women here that have died and no one seems to be talking about that I think nobody talked about it because it was only once she started delving into the files and gathering the data that it became quite shocking to see. I don't think people would have necessarily been aware of it because the responsibility of the local authority is to safeguard the children. The social worker is a safeguarding, so their job is to safeguard those children. If the children are removed, well, when they're removed from the mother's care in these cases, the children are now safe. What then happens afterwards is not followed up. They wouldn't actually be aware of the number of women that have had children removed and then died. As sad as this sounds, it probably wouldn't have been a priority because the priority, as far as they're concerned, is to ensure the safety of the child. And I understand that. But it feels like a missed opportunity. What do you think needs to change so that so many women aren't dying prematurely? There needs to be a more joined up thinking from agencies around these women, including health agencies. I think what could be done if the women particularly have removal at birth, midwifery services could do more to highlight their concerns. Social workers could do more. We need to understand how all of these things impact on the women because often there's a whole range of issues that are occurring when somebody has a child removed. So the trauma and loss of having your child removed, it's something that's done to you. And any emotional trauma actually causes a physical impact on people. Something as well that's stuck for me, when children are removed from their mother's care, often there's a lot of the recording is really, really negative. At some point, these children will grow up. And the way that we are now and the way society is changing, they'll probably want to look at their files. And nobody's bothered to write one nice thing about this mother. And that child, who was now an adult, is going to look at their file and see nothing but negativity. And that's going to impact then on them emotionally. So I just think if we're actually keeping the child in mind, we should bear in mind that at some point that child's going to read about their mother. And I don't believe that there isn't somebody who couldn't say something nice about that person. We need to just consider how we're doing things more and just consider the impact of all the the social inequalities on people and that doing nothing is what's led to this number of women dying. If you continue to do nothing, that number will continue to go up and up and up. So I don't think you really have a choice morally, but to do something. Thanks so much for talking to us, Helen. I think that encapsulates it really well. A lot of the reason why these women have died prematurely is because nothing was done to help them. And actually, that shouldn't be an option anymore. Coming back to you, Jules and Helen. Why do you think that so many women who've experienced the repeat removal of children are dying prematurely? There are some women who we have worked with who've died as a result of of suicide for, for women for whom life is just too unbearably painful and there are some women who have died at the hands of others and there are women whose lives if you've had your children removed and you have that overwhelming sense of shame and guilt about why that's happened taking care of yourself and your physical health may not be your number one priority and there's also a high level of risk that the women that we work with and the women that we're we're talking about here can be holding, particularly in some of the 
ways that they use to cope with the lives that they're in drugs and alcohol for example and the additional risks that come with the use of those they're living difficult dangerous lives and they're dying difficult dangerous deaths and so much of what we're talking about is speculative isn't it because we just haven't done the work yet to give us the right answers for those women who are going through care proceedings or who've just finished care proceedings there are services out there there are support services there are mental health services there are drug and alcohol services but they're really difficult to access when you are overwhelmed by the grief and the shame and the pain of losing your children if you're living in a tent by the side of the motorway how do you ask somebody if they want to come for drug and alcohol services and not all the women by any means that Paul's works with that is their situation but there's a significant amount that there are and even for those that are maybe living in more stable housing what they tell us is it's just incredibly hard to even think about going leaving your front door and getting out I'm now talking to Anna Smith, Chief Exec of 125, a Bristol women's charity that works with some of the most marginalised women in society. 125 delivers Pause Bristol and has supported many women in Bristol who've had more than one child removed from their care. Thanks so much for joining us today, Anna. Can you tell us a bit about 125 and the work that you do with women? 125 has worked with women whose street sex work for 25 years in Bristol. Four years ago, very shortly after I became the CEO, we launched Pause Bristol, which works with women who've had children permanently moved into care. And they experience very similar issues to the issues that our street sex workers experience, which is why we felt there was a real synergy with um, the programme. So in your experience, why do you think so many women who've experienced the repeat removal of their children are dying prematurely? I think it's a number of reasons and it's incredibly sad, but also it doesn't surprise me. I think they're some of the most hidden women in our lives in Bristol and in the wider community. I think there's a huge risk of suicide for women in this category. I know that in our pause cohort, we work with 20 women at one time. I think we've had three women on suicide alert at one time. So that tells you a lot about it. These women have not had happy, healthy childhoods, the emotional and physical impact of being in maybe abusive families, neglectful families. There hasn't been even meals on the table, let alone healthy meals, which has contributed to their general health and well-being being quite poor. They've probably lived in very poor accommodation in many situations. I'm astonished at how many domestic homicides there are, so it wouldn't surprise me if um, quite a high level of those were domestic homicides. I also think perhaps a less tangible issue is that they are sad and they feel rubbish about themselves. I've heard women say, I'm rubbish, I'm nothing, no one cares about me. And if that's what's going on for you, you don't have a GP, you don't go to the GP with what's going on for you, you don't go and get counselling, you don't get up and go for a run to try and lose weight. You just don't look after yourself in the way that we all try to if we're feeling good. It takes an enormous amount of energy to get out of the door and do those things. And I don't think they're worth it, I don't think they deserve it. And I don't think they're cared for or that there's any reason to continue to look after themselves. I think losing a child, the trauma of having a child removed is enormous and they're left feeling worthless. And that's a huge contributor, I suspect. Finally, Anna, what sort of change do you think is needed nationally and locally to stop women dying and to really create a change in the system that's needed? I think there's a number of things. I think the fact that we don't even know why they died is shocking. We need to know more about why they died and then we can address the the needs that they had. I think we need to 
get in earlier. There's a recent Lancaster report that suggests that if women are worked with while they're pregnant, then a lot of the anguish of child removal can be prevented. And we totally agree with that at 125. Maybe we shouldn't wait till they've had two children removed. Maybe we should be moving in earlier after after the first child removed. That's trauma enough. And I do think these figures are a national disgrace. And I think that they need to be addressed locally, regionally, nationally. Um, we are one of the wealthiest nations in the, in the world. And they shouldn't be figures that we're seeing. They should be a national headline and something that the country is working on. Thanks to Anna for joining us today. And finally, back to you, Jules and Ellen. Probably the hardest question to answer. What can be done about it? What needs to change? What needs to happen to stop these women dying? There needs to be a joined up approach when women are going through care proceedings. Local authorities, public health, adult mental health, drugs and alcohol need to be aware that there are real risk factors for that woman. Yes, of course, there's risk factors related to the children and that's why they're in care proceedings. But actually, public health need to understand that the very fact of having your child taken away, taken into the care system, going through court processes, means that that woman is more at risk of dying. And therefore, the services that are offered and support provided need to be done in a different way. So I think first and foremost, we need to be talking to our partners about this, where there are pauses, where there aren't pauses, where there are other services, we're not the only ones doing this work, where there is nothing, we need to be raising people's awareness. It's the same sort of conversation around femicide and and the risk of being killed by your partner and ex-partner, isn't it? We know that when someone leaves an abusive relationship that is a crucial time when they are at risk so getting all of those services understanding that and putting that in place so if we know that women who go through multiple care proceedings are at risk of premature death then that helps start the conversation with those services doesn't it it does mm-hmm. I mean I agree with Ellen that talking to our professional partners helping them to think differently about the vulnerabilities of women but also even before that we have to know more don't we we have to understand more we need to be able to say more concretely and more certainly what's happening why is it happening and that will lead us to how do we prevent it happening and is there anything that we're doing at pause to continue to find out more about these women and why it might be happening We've altered our scoping process in order that when we go and we scope in an area and we find that there are deaths of women, that we don't just go, oh, she's died and move on. Where possible, we gather a bit more information. We scope from children's files, so it's always difficult if things haven't been recorded. But to know, for instance, when she died, how old she was when she died, and if possible, what the reason was, so that we begin to build Um, a bigger, fuller picture of what that looks like. We're right at the beginning of understanding all of this and we at PAUSE have to keep learning and keep talking about it and we have to keep learning and talking with our partners about it and I would say if anyone listening has anything to add to the conversations that we're having and the work we know that needs to be done then they should get in touch with us, you know, tell us, tell us what you know and, and tell us what you think we should do and what others should do. Thank you to all my guests for their honesty and reflections. And thanks to you for listening to this episode. It's not an easy topic to talk about and not one that has a simple solution. We really hope that by raising awareness and talking about the women who've died, that we've found a way that we can start making some change for them. 
We'll be back soon with another episode. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more about Pause, just go to pause.org.uk or find us on Twitter at Pause.org. Please leave a review and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And until next time, thank you. Thank you.